0: Welcome to the Future of Gaming. GM friends and welcome to the Future of Gaming. You're listening to our weekly podcasts. We have the usual crew together again. Finally, I know you've been waiting for this. We've got Philip Collins, Devin Becker, myself, Nico Vreke. Today um, is, so the three of us got to hang out at GDC and now we get to digest it a little bit. So Phil and I we got a bit sick. Devin also got a bit sick. And so now we you know we're back at it and it gives us a chance to digest it mentally and now we're gonna talk it through together um with you. So first I guess we plan on discussing what happened to GDC, what we what we saw, what we liked, didn't like. Um, I guess two other big news items that came out in that specific week, uh, which is no coincidence, was the Polygon X immutable announcement, getting married, big hype, uh, big hype. And then we have CCP Games that raises forty million dollars from among others us. I'd be um, <laughs> inside yeah. job. That's that's uh, that's pretty much um the plan for today and then uh, obviously we'll see where we end up. Um Phil, so you're you're feeling good? You told me your voice was bad but I I'm getting there. My my voice is 90%
1: back, but as of last week uh the words were not coming out. So mm. it's it's good to be back
0: in conversational again. I I, I like this type of uh, Phil voice. It's uh, it's a bit jazzy, you know? A bit rough. <laughs> I'm the, the late night radio DJ there, Yeah, that's it. That's it. Um, good. All right. Um, yeah, let's dive in. So maybe, uh, Phil, like Devin, we spoke to Devin last week already. De- Phil, tell us, how was your GDC? It was good. I mean, I think
1: one of the great parts about GDC is always just catching up
0: with industry people that are
1: normally on a screen, like the two of you. So I got to see Nico in person for, I think the third time and Devin and yep. I finally met for the first time after yeah. many, many, many conversations here. So <laughs> wow. that's always, that's always great. Um, but overall, it was good. I think morale seemed relatively high, especially coming from the investor side when it seems like everyone's a little bit down right now. I think seeing the industry all in one place and seeing that there's just kind of constant innovation and excitement is, is always a, a positive thing for for everyone involved. Um, this year was definitely noticeably different on the the Web3 side. I think that was partially self-selected, because I mean, Nico, Devin, and I are obviously talking to plenty of people in Web3, but I think that the the tone of conversations has shifted just a little bit over the last year, and uh, in general the event was maybe buzzing a little bit less with Web3 hype, and a little bit more with some AI hype, and what that meant for the gaming industry as a whole, which isn't altogether expected, where GDC's always going to be a hotbed of, a, of emerging technology for gaming, so whatever's, whatever's relevant is going to be discussed across the board, but yeah, I mean, all around good year, we can kind of dive into some more of the the types of conversations we were all three, I'm sure having, but that, that was kind of one of the, the noticeable takeaways is just trends have evolved and conversations reflect that.
0: Would you say that your meetings were mostly like people you already knew, maybe even portfolio companies, or did you take a lot of like first calls? Yeah, I think at GDC it's a lot of finally meeting people in person that I've
1: interacted with in the past and you know, at those conferences a lot of times it's meeting other investors and corporates in the gaming space more so than first startup conversations which tend to happen either before or after the event. I think if you know, if you're late in a diligence process, it's a really good opportunity to meet some of those teams in person, but it's less less first
0: conversations with with really anyone to be honest. So one more question we have tr- like we've been trying or before COVID we tried to physically meet once at least once all the founders that we would invest in yep. just to because it's, it's very hard to it's harder to hide, you know, stuff that you're not saying physically when people are looking you in the eye uh, uh-huh. versus through a screen. And so we see ourselves like moving back in that direction. Is that something like that you guys try to do as well? Yeah, I mean, I I individually try to meet with the
1: founders that I work very closely with. But as a team, we also try to get just all of our founders together. GDC is a really convenient opportunity where everyone's already in one place because we're a gaming investor. And so pretty much all of the founders that we back are there in some capacity or for some duration. So definitely think that's really powerful. I feel like being a founder is an incredibly hard, stressful thing, and so having a having a cohort of peers that are going through something similar and have been through all these different stages is a really powerful thing. And it's also just great to to sit down with founders and and get get updates and talk about the future in person because, like you mentioned, it really is different than just sitting over a Zoom screen. I think it it is a more you know genuine conversation and mm-hmm. something I always appreciate.
0: Mm-hmm. Good. Devin? I don't know. I'm I'm a
2: little bit the opposite uh, because I'm more of an introvert, uh, even though I don't always come across that way. Um, You know, when I get into a good conversation, it doesn't seem like it, but... Uh, you know, the main difference is generally that introverts are a bit more drained by the social stuff energy wise. So I, you know, I put a lot of energy into it, but I do find it a bit draining. And so for me, like being behind the screen is a little bit easier because I get a little bit, it's either, you know, calls over, boom, I can recharge. Right. Uh, I can go back to doing something silent, solo, put on some music, whatever. And so for me, like GDC is a bit of a marathon. Um, uh, I think it's great. And, and I love like, getting to do it and see like, you know, a mix of people that I've seen before mix, like, but I don't see very often and new people, and meet people and whatnot, and get some FaceTime, but at the same time, like if that was like all the time for me, I think I would just, I'd be like a blob at some point. I just couldn't take it. So, I, I guess I'm a little opposite there. But I, I do, uh, you know, as you guys know, I live kind of in the computer, anyways. So I'm, I'm already in the future in the metaverse, and so for me, it's, it's, uh, it's the norm. I, but you know, I have the eye tracking VR and stuff, so I could get to that point of, you know, looking people in the, the eyes, right, virtually. It'll be kind mm-hmm. of the same. But I, mm-hmm. I do get what you mean by, um, you know, the relationship develops differently in person still. Like, even even if you're normally doing everything through your screens, getting an in-person thing tends to add a lot of subtle signals that improve, like, just relationship in general. And, uh, and it, you know, it does improve the conversation quality to some extent, right? Because there's, like, a lot of those subtle things. I mean, we can see each other's faces, but you miss out on all the body language, right? Like, you can maybe see mm-hmm. my shoulders, but you can't see what my hands are doing half the time. It's just... A lot of that subtle stuff gets lost, and I think, you know, eventually maybe we get there with like VR kind of stuff and other stuff. But it, until then, I I do anticipate people like yourselves will try and push back towards physical when we can, assuming we don't get another plague across you know the global again. Uh, people so hopefully, like hopefully yourselves, not. yeah, you
0: dirty extroverts. Um, <laughs> yeah, and hilarious. also through screen, you can't know how tall Phil actually is. Right. Um, But we also can sick from each other through a screen. Yeah, a
1: a lot of people are like, I thought you were shorter. I'm was like, i presenting myself as short. So if you're watching this video, tell me if I'm presenting myself as short. There's some people I
2: thought were taller, too, that I I got tricked by as well. Mm. So, So, Phil, you have a short head.
0: I don't
1: know what that means. I don't um, know. (laughs) Hey, you know, I hear that a lot. Do you ever get that, Nico? Ever?
0: Uh, Most people that tell me that I'm I'm taller than... Okay. Yeah. I Unless am taller than I, I look through a screen, I guess. Okay. I'll be able so. to sleep tonight now. Thanks. Yeah. Good. All right. Let's uh, talk a bit about the big news. I would say, um, yeah, let's talk about the big one. It's um, probably the two most powerful business development machines in Web3 today um, decided to, hey, who, like who cares about competition? Um, we're just going to join forces and make this a whole lot easier for ourselves. And so, um, Immutable and Polygon have decided to, um, yeah, to partner up and work together. And I think Devin, you will probably do a better job summarizing what's happening. So I'll let you take it from here.
2: Yeah, I mean, it was it was really interesting. I spoke to a lot of people on both sides at, at GDC. Really dug, dug into the um, the news and what it meant and the tech and uh, There's there's a lot of interesting details to it. But I think at the end of the day, it was. I think both of them are, you know, maybe a little sick of fighting. Uh, they both had something to offer each other. And, you know, they're having to overspend on BD, constantly bringing games back and forth. Like, like, the number of games that switched sides, you know, was just getting ridiculous. And you know, that had to involve money to some aspect, right? So they're, they're starting to drain their funds over time, spending their money, bringing each other over. So at some point they go, you know what? Polygon, uh, as Sandy put it, is an infrastructure company first. Uh, whereas Immutable is a games company first. And so I think a little bit of a concession from Polygon's side to be like, you know what, we're going to do dApps as well. Uh, You know, we don't need to do just games. You guys are basically just going to do games only. So why don't we just kind of split the difference? You guys can focus on the games a bit more than we do. We'll we'll focus on the technology, and you can use our technology. And I I think, you know, as, as Cindy put it, I think was like, We can't stop you from using it anyways because, you know, it's out there. But, you know, it's better as a partnership deal where they kind of support each other because uh, one thing that's kind of not really paid attention to is actually value does accrue to Polygon in this. Because what happens is uh, even though Immutable's token now has more value because it's going to be used as gas on the network— you need to get give the context first and how it's going to work from a technical I, point of view. Everyone, yeah. everyone knows the news right now, right? No, But basically the idea is uh, Polygon's ZK EVM technology, the uh, zero-knowledge EVM or Ethereum virtual machine technology, uh, will be used for uh, a new chain that Immutable will be running. Uh, in addition to Polygon also having released their own ZK EVM chain uh, using their technology as well, uh, on the twenty seventh, uh, you know, about six seven days ago from when we're recording this, and uh, and so like it's the next level technology in the sense of everyone knows the zero knowledge stuff like speeds everything up. We've mentioned it quite a few times, uh, but immutable was just zk without the EVM, so you couldn't have smart contracts on the network, which was. Kind of a big deal, right? Like you could pretty much do NFT trading stuff and you had the zero gas fees and it was really cool. But you couldn't really run a lot of stuff on-chain. And I think sometimes that was a blocker for for devs, as, especially if they wanted to build on-chain. You just couldn't, right? You had to build off. So Can
0: I give some context there? Because I yeah. think it's 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 interesting, right? So um, Immutable was and actually still is using um, the technology Stark X from the company called Starkware. Uh, the Israelis that are, I would say, pioneers when it comes to ZK technologies or knowledge technology. And so Stark X was their bespoke solution, their bespoke roll-up solution. That was, as you mentioned, it was, I, I don't think, I, I think the correct term might be just not Turing complete. Turing complete. So you could barely program it. You can do everything you wanted with it. Um, there was a promise of Stark aware, uh, sorry, Stark net, man, these terms. Um, anyway, so Stark net was going to be like a, a, a roll-up, like um, a zk rollup, I think Validium, validity, anyway, rollup that was like you could program on there, and you would you be using the the Cairo language. Um, but I think one of the the reasons why Immutable decided to not work with Stark Net uh, Starkware anymore and, and build on Stark Net is because Stark. Where has been slow on deploying Starknet. Right. So you know, we we've talked to founders that you know more than a year ago now we're going to build on Stark mainnets. mainnet, um, and it's still not where it was supposed to be. Like, like it's 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 a year off or something. Yeah. Anyway, what so the
2: zkEVM from Polygon had been on testnet since October, uh, so they'd been able to prove that out. I think a bit more, yeah. as, as you said, yeah. like if they're being slow and, and Polygon's got their stuff going, and it's like a chance to you know
0: tie the knot between the two competitors like form sort of a truce that does seem like it's, a good match i agree um, and and one more thing here that i've i think is interesting is that and and so i'm not super technical so i don't know the intricacies here inter intricacies here no that's not the word anyway you know what i mean um it's early um <laughs> what's um as far as i understand so Cairo is a language that's specifically designed to be used in um, zero knowledge uh, roll up technology. What the ZK EVM does, and so Cairo is not um, EVM compatible, which means that you can't copy paste essentially your code from a you know, solidity based smart contract and reuse it for Starknet. Um, for ZK EVM, that is the case. And so what the ZK EVM does is it turns EVM code into something that's compatible with zero knowledge technology. As far as I understand, this might be a similar case to what we saw with the internet, where suboptimal protocols are being used, you know, because of random reasons, which in this case is, you know, there's a lot of stuff on Web3 that's been built in EVM compatible code. And so, you know, we're, we might be using suboptimal programming languages to like to to merge those into the the new technologies that are going to speed things up. Because as far as I understand, Cairo is specifically built for for this ZK tech and it is more efficient and better and you can do more stuff with it than if you would try to do the same with an EVM compatible language. Anyway, that was um, something I found interesting.
2: Yeah, I think the the ability that that compatibility is a bigger deal than people want to give credit for. Because the idea is, if you're you've already been developing your game for say like half a year or more, and you're like, hey, I'm looking for the best blockchain to be going to, and both Polygon and Immutable Immutable can go, hey, just bring your EVM stuff over here. Like that's a pretty big deal because that's a big upgrade, yep. right? It's like when everyone was developing for Ethereum, right? At first, and Ethereum started to kind of really have problems, and then people saw Polygon as an option, because it was EVM compatible on Layer 2, but ran better, that, you know, people moved to it, that was a big advantage Polygon had, now this is a big advantage they have again to move towards this ZK EVM technology, and so, it allows you to, if you're already developing a game, or you already have developed a game, to be able to migrate that to something that's more efficient and more scalable, but uh, the, the big difference here is for a mutable side, it, it's not gas-free, so that is a big difference that anyone moving over from, say, Immutable to trying to move over to this will have to deal with is because you are you have to pay something to get people to run your smart contracts, right? And so to do so, you have to pay gas. Now, like because they didn't require smart contract stuff before on the 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 Immutable Stark tech, uh, it, you didn't really have to pay gas fees. I mean, I think there was maybe some sort of subsidization. I'm not sure how they, all, the, all the financial stuff worked there, but... That is a big difference, as you'll have to consider if you've got to migrate to this. Okay, well, you have to pay uh, gas, right? And this, and this, as I was kind of like uh, going to before we went more into the details of, of context, but is that IMX will now finally have some utility, the immutable token, which had basically no utility before. is now going to be basically what MATIC is to Polygon. It's going to be the gas. But the, the, the big uh, coup here for um, Polygon is that in order to stake for the validators for the nodes, you will still have to use MATIC. So there will still be actually value-add for Matic. So Polygon does benefit uh, from this as well, from supporting this. And that's where, like, I think that that part of the story tends to get buried a bit. Like, people don't really catch that aspect of that Polygon benefits from this, too, in that respect. Because Matic then becomes this broader token, like Ethereum is, where it's not just this isolated thing anymore. Now it's starting to expand out in the importance of it. Uh, and, I, I mean, I don't think that's going to make Matic, like, Money or something all of a sudden, but it is a big deal to expand that out. I mean, for the same reason, IMX having some utility matters now um, because it's not just a token for GameStop to dump.
0: It actually has something else you could do with it. Mm-hmm. So, as far as I understand, there's like three different layers here. So, <laughs> yeah. if you want to, if we, if you want to work with Immutable, mutable, you can still. Do that in the old way which is use immutable x which is going to remain based on starkware technology um, and i think that's going to be as you mentioned Devin, gasless um and and using that 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 bespoke rollup up solution um you can also build on so the immutable zk evm and that's what you just mentioned where you will be paying gas in um the immutable token and you know, there will still be some need for Matic, which is what you use to stake uh, for the validators. And then um, you could also, and then we're, we're going into the next layer, which is you can also work with Immutable to get your own bespoke um, ZK EVM rollup. Um, and that will be, as far as I understand, um, so using the the Polygon technology, but if I if I'm not mistaken, that would be then you know validated with immutable tokens. So we're going like a layer deep deeper. I might be wrong though. Is is it also I, Matic? I think
2: I then? read that as um, when it, when it was Polygon announcing, I think I read it as uh, Matic would still be needed for that.
0: Okay, then then I'm wrong. Okay, in that case, I, I mean, then, then could be wrong. Though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I know. I think you might be right. Where okay, because it's still using Polygon technology, you need Matic to stake, but you don't need immutable to pay for gas you can choose your own um you can choose which token will be used to pay for kind of like an avalanche subnet right yes exactly um and so i think you know the way i i i heard robbie um who's the i think the president of immutable or one of the co-founders explain it was that you know they want to be um able to help on one hand you know the activision blizzard's in um, the rights of this world and on the other hand the indie developers and so if Activision wants to make their own ro- uh, war zone roll up um, highly recommended then um, You know that that would be able that would be something that they could do And if you know a small indie developer just you know wants to have the the simplest easiest solution and, and just allow You know their players to to trade their assets and, and have the good old real ownership um, That would be possible as well Good now that we've given given context <laughs> Phil Devin and I have been ranting for a while. (laughs) What are your thoughts?
1: Yeah, no, I mean, it, it was interesting to see this because I think a lot of past episodes we've talked about
0: the different strategies that both of
1: these groups are taking, and to Devin's point around Polygon maybe being much broader than gaming and immutable being more gaming focused or at least focused on the actual games themselves. They've taken two opposite strategies within gaming where polygons taken the volume play and immutables tried to take the value play of smaller numbers, but more curated and polygons like we just want everyone to be building here. And so the merging of those two strategies is, is now, um, is now interesting to see. I don't, to be honest, fully understand how this is going to, to shake these guys up on a on a technical level. But it is interesting to see some bridges being built between probably I would two of the fiercest competitors within the gaming infrastructure space for for web three. We've talked a lot in the past about how, you know, competition is has been different in web three up to this point and people are a lot more collaborative than they than they normally would be in, in business, where you know, a competitor is a competitor and you know you don't like to give each other advantages. But I'll be curious to see how the the implementation of the crossover here actually does mutually benefit both, or if one of them is going to be able to edge the other one out over time to to the point around like Matic still being needed even on immutable transactions. Um, so I, yeah, I don't, I don't I don't I don't have too out of a take on on how this is going to play out. I think it's a it was a, a little bit of a surprising fuse, but um, it also feels like layer twos are are kind of. Banded together in fighting the Layer Ones and trying to prove out their scalability. So maybe it's just like perceived deficiency in that space driving them together to try to be, you know, their aggregate value is that of a Layer One. So I'm not sure beyond that. They both said that
2: they believe highly in Ethereum being kind of the base layer, and so I think this kind of helps double down on that, expands that out to help compete more and more, as you said, Phil, with like the Layer One. So this is like a big blow in a way the way I see it against Solana and Avalanche mm. and stuff like that, because now it's just, like, there's four new chains or, I mean, four chains to choose from, like as Layer 2s there, right? You've got the the POS Polygon, you've got the zk AVM Polygon, you've got the Starkware Immutable, and you've got the Polygon uh, ZK-EVM Immutable. And so it's like, you've got four choices now as those Layer 2s, not to mention all the other uh, roll-up styles and stuff like that to, to go with, like, Arbitrum and Optimism. Uh, so it, it just it starts to make the case against rival layer ones pretty heavy mm. because uh, one thing that Robbie was going on a lot about that I thought was, I think, important was a liquidity within the, the whole ecosystem and driving that liquidity. And and it's something I've I've been in, uh, I've seen a lot of problem with, people building their own chains, is you kind of build yourself on this little island. And I, I'm not the biggest fan of everything being bridges and stuff like that. And we've seen the security problems that come from that. And bridges are kind of this weird hack more than they are really an actual transfer technology. They're like, let's lock something up here and spawn it over here, and it's more like remittance than it is an actual, like, tech, in a way. And so it just feels like a hack or a kludge. Having these sort of systems... I mean, still, you're kind of bridging in a way between layers, but you're doing it in a way that's using the, the, the layers further down to, to secure that rather than just to teleport it. And I think this is probably the better way forward, uh, to build these layer twos on here, but I mean, we'll see, right? It just heightens the competition, I think, in the space. And now maybe Polygon and Immutable can focus a bit more on building that up rather than just on poaching from each other and spend hopefully a little more wisely. But that being said, that hasn't stopped Polygon from announcing, for example, here's some games that are coming to the ZK EVM that we're doing. And then Immutable also doing the same, which the funniest one to me was, was, uh, uh, uh why am I forgetting the mech game all of a sudden? Uh, Metalcore? Metalcore, yeah. I don't know why I blanked on the name I just started with the name. Uh, It's gone from immutable to polygon and now back to immutable, but on the ZK-EVM. So it's like that was like the the penultimate poaching back and forth that's happened with this. And of course even the Metalcore was in like their keynote address and stuff like that showing it off. Uh, So I think uh, that's a good example of like this fighting hopefully kind of winding down in a way so they could spend a little more wisely. But Polygon still announcing stuff on their ZKVM shows that they're not like completely shying away from games. They're just like, okay, well, let's make our deals a little more smart and not waste all of our BD money just on heightening the, the negotiating bribes.
0: Feels like there's very few reasons left for developers not to go build, you know, on, you know, immutable slash Polygon, right? Um, I guess... You know, the only reason that's left for me is, well, one, potentially like the treasuries um, and the war chests of some of the competing L1s that, you know, would be willing to pay you money to come build on them. And then I guess the other potential reason would be that, um, like, for example, the the move language or, you know, Solana are more, um, from a technical perspective, aligned or, or similar to, I think, the Unreal uh, language, um, which makes it easier for your traditional Unreal Engine uh, backend developers to um, to actually make the switch and start programming smart contracts. Um, that's as far as I understand it. But I, I would say that, you know, that argument becomes weaker and weaker as we see, I think, network effects increase um, within the blockchain space and, and on-chains. And so, um, you know, if... If 99% of gamers are, you know, on let's say the the broader Ethereum ecosystem, and you know you you have your your little marketplace on on the, on Solana, and there's no one, that's there, no one there, then you know I think um, for new developers it's gonna be it's gonna be an easy choice. Yeah,
2: especially with the Unity plugin uh, probably leading the way to an Unreal plugin at some point, as uh, uh, Mutable <laughs> said they were working on that as well. So mm-hmm. then that as you said that kind of gap starts to shrink. And you start to go, well, like, it's easy for me to just use this because it's already got a plugin for what I use.
0: Yeah, I think, um, especially when we're talking about open source technology, the easiness from a technical point of view to build things, I feel like that as um, as an edge and as a competitive advantage probably gets eroded away. Right, Because more and more plugins slash solutions slash service providers even start emerging um, to make you know, the, the difficulty of integration or making the switch easier for you. And so I think that's more fundamental network effects start winning out in terms of competitive advantage. Um, and then I'm talking about, you know, player liquidity, you know, financial liquidity. Um, and, and, and yeah, I guess uh, for us, you know, and I, I think, you know, Phil, for you, this is probably also important. Um, I know you don't really invest in content, but if you do, I guess that's one of the questions you're asking yourself is, how are you going to get to your audience? Like, what's your go-to-market? Right. What's your distribution edge? So, yep. Good. All right, on to the next piece of news, I'd say, um, which is a few months ago, I had the the chance, we had the chance to speak to Hilmar Vegar uh, Petruson, who is famous dude he's a really cool dude he's also a really tall dude by the way um who is the ceo of ccp games who are the makers of eve online and they during the week of gdc announced that they've just raised um a nice round 40 million bucks to build a um a game a triple eight style game um on the blockchain and you know in my head i have a bunch of ways that's Web three Helps games, or how web three technologies can enhance games? And one of those is build a very big open economy MMO. Something that I think a lot of teams are trying. I think it will it will be very hard, um, but yeah. Um, Even Line is is known for its extremely deep player driven economy. It's also known for having a sort of gray, uh, like a, a like a big. Secondary market, the gray markets, where and so it's essentially already semi-open. And I've specifically discussed that with him, with uh, Hilmar, and he he told me like, you know, the only difference between our our game, not not the new game, but Eve Online and a blockchain-based game, is that um the terms of service state that you can't do shit. But you know, essentially that those are getting violated the whole time. So it's essentially also an open game, which I'm not sure if I fully agree with that. Um, But they've said, you know, we see the potential here and uh, we're now going to build our own game.
2: Yeah, that'll make for some FUD corporate espionage uh, if it's anything like EVE, right? Keep in mind, of course, they didn't say it was going to be EVE. They just said the EVE universe, right, which is pretty vague. Like, they've built a lot of games already in the EVE universe, and so that doesn't necessarily... Say it's something you know, you know, a, a true extension of the the normal gameplay. It may be something totally different. It might just be an economy simulator that doesn't have any gameplay. For all we know, like they they've got Excel integrated now, so uh, it's. But it, you know, as we've said like many times, we've referenced them tons of times because like there's only a few games that are you know really big part of uh, examples of economy design like on a big scale. Mm-hmm. And Eve is definitely one of them, and actually has economists on staff. Like they they may not always know what they're doing but they know what they're doing more than a lot of other game companies and that's a big advantage i think coming into the web3 space cuz i think they're one of the few companies that probably doesn't benefit as much from hiring a consultant although it depends on how how much they've been paying attention to the web3 tech and seeing like what works there and what doesn't but mm-hmm. i think they're they're not the kind of company that's just going to bring over defi stuff and and screw it up like a lot of these other companies that just kind of jump into the space like but but i do wonder what the time scale is like on this like they announced it but it's how many years off is this? Uh, this could be, you know, five years from now before we see anything if it even gets finished, right? Like, they've definitely had their their share of games that haven't gone the places they were, you know, anticipating them to go, or uh, been maybe a little disappointing, or eventually get canceled. It's uh, it's tricky, but I, I don't know if were you were you involved at all in this, Nico, with with, with BitCraft uh, being part of it? Yeah,
0: yeah. So we're being part of that round and. um I don't know how much I can share, but it's going to be less than five years. Cool. Um, yeah. So we've actually like there was like an internal playlist already, so I've I played mm. something.
2: So like the question that I have is like, are you
0: pretty excited? Or I'm pretty excited, right? Um, I I never played Eve, and you know at this point I'm like I'm just too intimidated, and <laughs> and so <Fair. laughs> this this gives me. Uh, sort of, uh, and I guess more people also a fresh start. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think what, what's exciting about this and I, I have no stake here, so this is not an, this is not a biased opinion. Um, but what, what's really interesting about Hilmar and that team coming in are a, again, highly credible games team, um, games first team coming in and building a, building a pretty ambitious vision in, in the blockchain space, which I always appreciate. Um, you know, I think we're at the point now where I'd rather see people take the time to build out a, a big vision that has the chance for adoption versus trying to rush things out to market, which I think was a very like 2021 mindset. What's really compelling about that team, and something that I talked a lot about with with several of the investors at GDC that that participated in the round is that this team's kind of Years ahead of most of the competition because they've already had a lot of the challenges that I think web three brings to game development. And while I think a lot of the the first time teams in this space still have a lot of failure to do to figure things out and and ultimately come out on the other side, it feels like given the parallels that Eve has to what we've always thought of as Web3 gaming, they've they've Already kind of failed forward and figured a lot of this out, and so they're they're starting at a pretty pretty in, intense advantage over other players that I think could eventually figure it out, but just haven't struggled with it or like really grappled with it yet with a real live game. And so I think there's going to be a lot of lessons from Eve that they're able to take in here and and be ahead of where most people that are playing in the space are are going to. Hopefully, land. most
2: people can look at Eve, you know, being a public game and learn from it obviously it's been referenced a lot by like people like Edward, Edward Castronova who's mm-hmm. um, you know done a lot on virtual economies and stuff like that and uh, and actually been speaking even kind of in the web3 space lately uh, with some partnerships master nations and stuff like that um, i think he had a talk at GDC actually uh, but it's you know there's there's stuff people can look at right now and even that's why we bring it up and mention it and that's why it seemed like a good fit but it's like Uh, well, it's probably not a totally open book, right? Like, a lot of those lessons probably have to come from, like, GDC talks and stuff where they kind of open up. There's still a lot people can learn by just looking at the evolution of the game as it is, right? Like, Mm -hmm. if you go back historically, look at the stuff they've done, you know, you could tell probably some of those things are reactionary to things that they've learned, like try and anticipate, you know, work backwards a little bit. But at the end of the day, I think there's a lot of people that just don't have the time to do that and just kind of jump to easy answers. Um, But I am kind of curious if this is going to take some of the wind out of... um, star atlas's solar sails you know like because that was like a big anticipated space nerd thing uh <laughs> that was gonna be block three unlike or block web three uh blockchain unlike um star citizen and now all of a sudden now you're gonna have like three space games that are all like heavily economy driven but you know two of them on blockchain one of them not assuming assuming uh star citizen doesn't pivot uh, to to being Web three just so they can sell NFTs now, but
1: we'll but see. But I think to the, to the to the point before about Hilmar and this team, I think they're going to be able to avoid a lot of the pitfalls that we've seen with Star Atlas. Um, you know, I I'm hope. still confused as to what's happening with Star Atlas and showrooms. It seems it seems like you know first time building in this space can be one step forward, two steps back kind of thing. And I feel like that's what I keep hearing with star Atlas is that's exactly what's happening where there's this huge ambitious vision and it's like, you know, take a step two back and eventually you're just like, you're still five years out from launch after multiple years of building it. So it feels like those are some of the steps or the pitfalls that this team will hopefully be able to avoid. Um, and so it'll be interesting to see how the timing lines up, and how the quality of what's promised versus what's delivered actually shakes out. As so fortunately we probably won't get like a public white paper uh, from from CCP. I'd be, I mean, I'm I'm not
2: a big fan of like releasing game design documents that early, essentially, anyways, because I think you overpromise and trying to deliver on that kind of sucks. But if if Nico's saying you know it's actually farther along than than maybe we know, then hopefully we get some more information. Like I doubt they're going to get like super super detailed, but. I think the sooner we can see stuff, like the better for everyone, like in Web three space, to potentially learn from. Uh, if there's some cool design stuff shared, some ideas, obviously, you know, the CCP probably doesn't want people sniping their ideas, but at the same time, like if it's not really a competition, like it's a different genre of game, like CCP, like they have their audience. Like that audience doesn't always overlap with anything else. Sometimes, like they have their very niche audience, so they don't have to be as I think competitively protective of that right because people who like this kind of game like this kind of game and everyone else can go play something else and so i assuming they're going for a similar audience and not trying to overly broaden out to like casual gaming or something then i think it's an opportunity for them to like you know maybe kind of help educate uh the web 3 space if they could put out some stuff early rather than wait you know a few years from now when they're like the game's out uh, so hopefully we get a little bit more on that. And maybe, maybe Nico, you could push them a little bit to at least drop some teasers on us. We can speculate indefinitely. Wait, did you want me to push them to build a casual game?
0: Is, is that no, definitely what I should not take that. away from um... There's,
2: a, there's <coughs> enough casual space games at, at this point, I think, 4X ones yeah. and whatnot.
0: So to, you, to your <clears throat> question about, you know, what does this? how does this make you feel about Star Atlas um, specifically? I think, um, I've said this before, but I think that's a lot of teams... Underestimates the complexity of turning a game economy that you used to have complete control over into an open economy, blockchain-based, where you know you will suddenly have essential like bounties, and um, where suddenly everyone will <laughs> do everything they can to actually extract as much value as they can, and so um, this is why I think you know. Th- this is why I think um I am pretty positive about the chances of, of of um CCP in figuring this out because like as we said before, they basically already have a, a semi open economy. And so they have a lot of the lessons um that need to be learned and that will be learned by a lot of these blockchain gaming companies. Um they they have learned those already. And so I think um you know if you would bet on, on one open world economy to you know be sustainable and fun um I think that's what's um like there's probably has the highest shot at that um you know and and just to to hammer in this point I had a conversation with chris clay who is an who's ex magic the gathering arena so he he built out that game and who got went to work on gods and Unchained, Unchained which is was Immutable's first game. It's a blockchain-based TCG. And TCGs make so much sense on the blockchain, right? Uh, A non... Like, a physical TCG already has this sense of, oh, you you buy cards and you own the cards and you can do with these cards whatever you want, right? And so it makes a ton of sense to just take that and put it on the blockchain, which is why we're seeing, like, so many TCGs, you know, come out and and, and already exist. Um, And... He told me that, you know, um, building it on the blockchain makes things so much harder for him already, and it already makes so much sense. And so, you know, I think, I don't, I, I think a lot of teams underestimate the complexity of, like, you know, putting this into an open economy and all of the bad actors in space, all the space, all of the scamming, you know, all of the botting um, that will, um, you know, be a result of that.
2: I think a valuable lesson from Eve itself um, is that open doesn't have to mean truly open in the sense of like just opening the door to everything and just being like cool. Everyone can do whatever they want. Um, Plex is a good example of like having a sort of choke point or constraint, right? So like you could sort of get money in and out in a way through Plex in the game, but it's not like a straight financial fiat to a, like a virtual currency transaction, right? It's it's a it's a kind of a way in and out. Like, it's not exactly the same. And I think there are ways to do that in Web3 where you go, this is open in this channel here. This is open in this channel. This is open in this conversion here. And not everything has to just be, like, straight up open on, on the chain. Um, obviously, there's different degrees of that, right? But I think that's something I try and impress on a lot of people that, that you know, I'm consulting with is that there are varying degrees of openness. There are varying ways of, of approaching, say, an NFT or a token that aren't just following the standards. They could be enhancing the standards. They could be closing off parts of the standards. Like, we, we have, like, the sort of the philosophical web three and then there's the practical web three and i think those two have overlap but they don't have to be exactly the same and i think it's worth always considering what your objectives are and what makes sense to do and hopefully not from like a greedy corporate standpoint but more of a let's protect the players from things that make like that would be bad for this experience but also open it up to the potential for more positive experiences uh by enabling certain things right and you got to kind of pick and choose that and obviously Uh, CCP is a little more experienced at that, uh, you know, because they've, they've done, you know, dabbled in that direction. They have like elements of it that are sort of open on the gray market in a way, uh, that aren't maybe legit, but they, you know, they've seen what happens with those. And I think in general, like MMO kind of stuff is going to kind of trend this direction once it kind of can figure out certain ways of doing it. And we already have like examples of that to some extent with like games like Mirror M. Which and Mere 4, which are kind of the same game-ish, uh, but both have like a, a CCP-ish kind of idea of mining being a, uh, uh, for a resource that could be like important to the game and stuff like that, so it's kind of funny that you have the same kind of idea of miners and bots and that sort of thing, uh, and it's an MMO kind of thing, sort of MMO ARPG sort of between the two, but that idea of, there are games already kind of trying to go that direction, and I think Asian markets are definitely going to go that direction we're going to see probably a lot more uh, you know, ARPG or MMO or whatever style open like open economy games coming out of that market that I think it'll be worth looking at that as well for, for different ideas on how you can do it. Because they, they try and come up with different ideas and different approaches. Some work better than others, but the big one that they've had a problem with, I think, which we still haven't really solved in Web3, is like the bots kind of problem and dealing with like the, the problems that, you know, Axie started with, with scale of, of earnings being an issue. And any kind of reward system, even when they move to like competitive, it still has scale issues, and like that's
0: something we haven't really solved in this space yet. I had a conversation with with Hillmar specifically about this. I asked him like you know how do you handle bots in eve online and you know how how much do you think they're a problem in in you know a blockchain based game and um you know as like he he keeps saying that eve online like there's little difference between the economy of even line and, and uh, the economy of a, of a blockchain based game um because it's already being violated it's already great so um and and what he said was that there's like there's it's really hard but there's like dozens of different things you can do to start countering botting, um like the you know gamify capture. And and these types of things and uh, and bots are already good at like simple tasks, but really bad at like more advanced tasks of of you know cooperation, um, cooperation, that kind of stuff. Anyway, um yeah, let's see. I think um, you know, I've been looking at other solutions to this this specific problem. Um I'm looking at some companies doing something there. And um yeah, I think um specifically using the blockchain. So I think the, the blockchain is gonna be fundamental in solving the problem of botting um and on the other hand it's also one of the main reasons why botting is becoming more of a problem ironically anyway so um both occurs in a blessing for that for that part um you know talking about um you know the complexities of putting games on the blockchain and ccp being being good at that um so i was watching robbie so the the president of immutable talk about you know partnership and one of the 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 things that he said is that their ultimate goal is to give every player ownership over their in-game assets all of their in-game assets and so i want to pull this conversation a bit in the philosophical direction and you know wonder what is your thought on that is giving every player full ownership of, of, of their assets a good thing. And when I say full ownership means that they can you know, sell it, they can burn it, they could do everything they want with it. Um, Phil, what's your thought?
1: Most of me wants to say that it is a good thing. I think that, you know, there's kind of this like arbitrary scarcity that we've seen in, in, Video game assets in general in the past that, you know, being able to to buy sell trade makes a lot of sense for digital assets, just as it does for for physical assets, especially if you're going to put an element of scarcity. I know plenty of games play the volume game where they're going to take their 100 percent cut of primary sales and price it accordingly and assume that they're going to come out on top. I think the the part that the part that honestly maybe concerns me about enabling people to fully own is just the over financialization of these these games where not every game needs to have this ownership mechanic right like i think it can make sense in in certain areas where like in a trading card game to your point earlier the secondary market is almost part of the strategy right i think that's part of the meta game to somehow increase the value of of your deck or your inventory at the best possible price like that, that is almost part of the game. Um, that doesn't necessarily need to apply to everything, especially as you go down the scale towards more casual styles of games. Um, Not everything needs to be ownable. And I think that's something that the hyper casual genre is going to struggle with as they, as they go down this road to offset their advertising issues. But, you know, I think that, in my mind, it's almost genre-based, where there are certain realms where it makes sense, like a TCG or maybe an MMORPG. But you know, not every genre is suited to having this financialization, tradability embedded within their their game economy, because not every not every game has to have a full-blown economy. Not every game needs to be Eve. So that that's where I struggle to just generalize it as like, yes, everyone needs to own everything. <clears throat> I
2: think it's important if we especially if we're going to invoke the the comparison to TCGs to to separate the difference between Uh, paying for stuff in games and free-to-play, because I think that's a big point of contention with giving ownership of stuff doesn't work well in free-to-play in a lot of aspects, right? Because you end up with economy inflation problems, you end up with lots of other issues, and that's part of the reason why open economy stuff has gone away to some extent uh, prior to Web3 is because just the, the problems you get with the fact that you need to give away a lot of things for free in order to get people to play your game, and so that becomes like a big point of contention, whereas a TCG is all paid, you pay for everything in it. You pay for all the cards. You pay for the deck box. Whatever, everything in it you own because you paid for it. You're not given it by the game, right? Like they can run tournaments where you can win stuff in there with that. That's mostly promotional stuff, but that's a tournament and not, you know, that's an esports thing and in, in a way and not a part of the game itself. And so I think it's important to recognize, like, if we are selling everything to the player and players are financially already embedded in the game in that sense of like buying everything then it doesn't make sense to give them ownership it's like it's the same reason like if i buy you know a, a song of itunes i should be able to like actually own that song right rather than just license it and so i think that's where we need to draw the lines like if people are paying for something directly that's where we should give it to them like if we're giving them stuff for free then then and i notice a lot of web 3 games have gone kind of this direction right where you have the idea of there's the nft versions of things and then to allow the free-to-play players to play they get a non-tradable version of that you know that free thing that maybe has reduced benefits and i think that's where we're going to kind of see the line of distinction is like we we want people to be able to play our game without having to spend money to to get them on board but the idea of opening up everything needs to be just opening to everything that they paid for and not opening everything that we gave them and i think if we stick to that it becomes a lot more tenable because we're like you bought it you own it like that's it's simple like and then you could trade it whatever you're probably not going to get your money back like uh in in terms of like the whole amount you're going to get less because maybe it's not a used good in the sense of like wear and tear but it's still secondary market good and prices are expected to be below you know primary market prices like just in general right and so that then is okay we started to get into weird royalty issues and other stuff we've touched on before but i think to me that's kind of the dividing line that i think is important to consider especially looking back at tcgs
1: yeah, I mean, I think, Devin, you were just finishing up your thought, but it is also interesting to think about the ownability of of assets at both the game level, like the game license level versus in-game assets level, because we've seen a lot of people try to take this as in the startup world, trying to to apply this to game licenses. And I think that's that's like a jumping off point that just seems even further away than the ownability of in-game assets, um, where it's like, why would a why would a publisher, when they don't have to sell physical copies anymore, want to enable people to play their game for for cheaper instead of just having the the upfront primary sale be you know sixty dollars for at least a boxed premium product, which I know is irrelevant to free to play and whatnot, but um, that that logic almost like falls off there, and and so I don't know exactly how that plays out, but I, I've noticed that people have kind of tried to go at both and the in game assets seem to be a much more compelling proposition for for developers than a premium a premium product being sold on the secondary market when digitally there's no marginal cost for really an additional sale right I mean there's two trends of web three that I think uh, could be interesting,
2: just jumping off points to go into kind of different uh, ways of thinking about the ownership issue. One is um, the procedural content stuff. So, when we talk about, like, IP licensing, like, I think it was, it's interesting, like, what Yuga Labs did with uh, the the monkeys, right? Uh, if you own it, you can use it. You can use the IP, right? And that became really interesting. You got people like Seth Green <laughs> fighting over trying to use his monkey for his, uh, was it a show or a movie? And, like, just that idea that, like, if it's procedurally generated, everyone's is unique. Therefore, you're not, like, You're not infringing on the IP the same way. Right. Like where it's like your version is like, but you your your NFT is also a license. Right. For that particular one. And that's ownership in that sense that like as long as you hold it, you have ownership of that particular piece of IP. And I think that's a really interesting idea that could be explored further because of procedural stuff that we just had never really done much before. And I think that bleeds into kind of the UGC stuff, which is the other area that's kind of interesting where, you know, the, the game is acting more as a platform and making money from that in some way rather than making money from the assets. Uh, and and you like, that, you're, that you own the assets that you make within the game, similar to the idea of owning the assets that, you know, are procedurally generated. Uh, and looking at it that way of, like, player involvement or player personalization as angles towards ownership rather than owning, like, a corporate asset, like owning something that's an IP of a, of a bigger organism, essentially. And and then the game developers providing, you know, other things. They're providing uh, maybe content in different ways, or they're providing a platform, they're providing technology, providing, you know, different aspects right there as a service rather than as a, like, content IP sort of thing. And obviously there's lots of different directions to go with that, and we see a lot of people experimenting in this space, which I think is cool. I think we're kind of, like early still in that before people figure that like out exactly the business models but i do think there's opportunity there to look at like how do we expand ownership into a more ip uh friendly direction instead of it just being like this really contentious thing about licensing all the time good all right
0: thank you both uh listener thank you for listening if you enjoyed um feel free to let us know if you learned something thank you everyone and um yeah speak to you next week Ciao.